So it was a a number of years ago when I was pastoring uh, at that time another church, and I'd asked that church to submit sermon topics that they would like to hear, asking, uh, what does the Bible say about? So what does the Bible say about a particular topic? The most requested topic by far was dealing with time management. What does the Bible say about time? Because it seems I never have enough of it. Amen? Yeah. The Bible gives several answers to that question, and yet at that time, when the question was asked, it never occurred to me that the book of Numbers might have the best answer to the question. And yet Numbers 28 and 29 are especially relevant answers to that very question. It's such an important question, and God gives such an excellent answer that we're going to take three weeks, in fact, to consider it. Before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Indeed, O Lord, you are the God of revelation, and you know our questions before we ever ask them, and you have provided the answers. So often we don't hear the answer because we don't even understand yet the question. And so we pray that in your revelation, we would understand the right question, that we might understand the right answer to see it rooted in the person and work of Jesus Christ. To that end, we would pray for your Holy Spirit uh, to come by your sending in order to bear witness to the reading and preaching of your word that we would receive it as your word. And so we also pray for the preacher knowing that he is not worthy, but by your grace he is able. And so it is through Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, Numbers chapter 28 and 29 contain details about the regular sacrificial offerings that were to be offered daily, weekly, monthly, and annually as part of various holidays, holy days. This week, we are going to look at the daily, weekly, and monthly offerings in the first 15 verses of chapter 28, and the next week, we'll look at those holidays, the rest of Numbers 28 and 29. So, We're going to look at uh, Numbers 28, these first 15 verses, in the three sections uh, by which they come. So let's begin with the commands with regard to the daily offerings given in the first eight verses. Listen to God's perfect word. The Lord said to Moses, give this command to the Israelites and say to them, see that you present to me at the appointed time the food for my offerings made by fire as an aroma pleasing to me. Say to them, this is the offering made by fire that you are to present to the Lord. Two lambs, a year old without defect, as a regular burnt offering each day. Prepare one lamb in the morning and the other at twilight, together with a grain offering of a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with a quarter of a hin of oil from pressed olives. This is the regular burnt offering instituted at Mount Sinai as a pleasing aroma, an offering made to the Lord by fire. The accompanying drink offering is to be a quarter of a hen of fermented drink with each lamb. Pour out the drink offering to the Lord at the sanctuary. Prepare the second lamb at twilight along with the same kind of grain offering and drink offering that you prepare in the morning. This is an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Each and every day, 
an offering was to be made to the Lord. The offering consisted of a lamb a year old without defect as a burnt offering, and that was accompanied by a grain offering of flour mixed with oil and a drink offering of a fermented drink. We looked at this a little bit, the offerings, back in chapter 15 with similar commands given with regard to offerings, and I commented at that time that the regulations of these offerings remind me of a value meal. The animal offering is accompanied by the side dish of flour and oil, kind of sounds like fries, right, and a drink. For the special offerings in chapter 15, as the size of the animal increased, so did the increase supersizing the other elements. So with the lamb, it's a tenth of an epha. With the ram, it's a two-tenths of an epha. With the bull, it's three-tenths of an epha. And verses 1 and 8 in our passage refer to this then as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Now, it certainly doesn't mean a simple fact that God likes the smell of cooked lamb. Although, who wouldn't? Because it really does smell pretty good. But to call it an aroma pleasing to the Lord points to the perfect offering of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Earlier in the service, we affirmed from the Westminster Confession of Faith that the covenant of grace was differently administered in the time of the law and in the time of the gospel. Under the law, it was administered by promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, the paschal lamb, and other types of ordinances delivered to the people of the Jews, all for signifying Christ to come. And so we are to see Christ in these offerings, a lamb without defect. They're to find the most perfect lamb that they could find because it foreshadows the Christ who is indeed the perfect lamb. And the burnt offering is for atonement of unintentional sins in general, distinct from the sin offering that would be made for specific sin. The burnt offering recognizes that we are sinners continually in need of the Savior. The grain offering and drink offering is in general recognition of God's goodness and provisions. And you could give extra thank offerings for particular thanksgivings, but these offerings were for the general recognition of God's goodness and provision. And so on the whole, these offerings are worship in the form of confession and thanksgiving. Daily offerings that point us to our daily need of Christ, through whom we receive forgiveness and provisions. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Morning by morning, new mercies I see, all I have needed, thy hand hath provided as we sing in the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. In our New Testament reading earlier in the service, we read Luke 9, in which Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Each and every day comes with new trials and temptations, and so we need Christ daily. And so don't hear that as a, works righteousness thing, and certainly do not hear it as the prosperity lie. Don't believe the lie that if you just do your daily devotions, then your day will go better. A daily focus on Christ is necessary to weather the storms of that day. Doing your daily devotions, your day may go no better. In God's providence, there may still be 
ample trials and temptations, and yet you are focused upon Christ that you might weather that day. Notice, in fact, that the daily offerings aren't just once a day. They are, in fact, twice a day. They are to take two lambs, and verse 4 says, prepare one lamb in the morning and the other at twilight. The full offering of burnt offering of lamb, drink offering of wine, grain offering of flour mixed with oil was to be offered in the morning, and again a second full offering in the evening. In fact, many of the best devotional materials have a morning and evening devotion. The morning devotion points us to new mercies and new strength for the day through Christ. And the evening devotions point us to the mercy that covers the failures of the day and recognizes that anything good was a provision from the Lord. It's a wonderful rhythm, regular, as Numbers calls it. It's a regular activity, the rhythm of doing this day in and day out. They don't have to be long devotions. They aren't to be really disruptions to the day. Rather, they should be a key part to the rhythm of the day. A few moments in the morning to be encouraged by new mercies and new strength. And then a few moments in the evening to be encouraged of God's mercy covering the day's failures and to give thanks to God for his goodness in that day. Charles Spurgeon's morning and evening devotions are excellent, by the way. They are quite short, often based on half a verse of scripture or a phrase from God's word and drive right to the heart of the gospel. Driving to and from work is a great time to listen to a podcast that can center you in Christ for the day. So we have the day, the need for the daily bread of looking to Christ. So let's continue with the short but important command with regard to the weekly offerings given in verses 9 and 10. Listen again to God's word. On the Sabbath day, make an offering of two lambs, a year old without defect, together with its drink offering, and a grain offering of two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil. This is the burnt offering for every Sabbath, in addition to the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. Now, there are some particular meals that you've perhaps had in your life that you remember. Uh, great moments, great events, great meals that you can, you can remember those. But for the most part, you don't remember even what you ate yesterday, right? You might remember that you did eat yesterday. You might be able to recount what it was, but you don't particularly have a memory of eating. It wasn't a life-altering event after all, was it? Or was it? Every meal we eat is a life-altering event, isn't it? Even if it didn't impact you in some memorable way, it impacted your life. It is similar with worship. You might remember particular sermons, particular points, particular moments in worship, but for the most part, you don't remember what you ate last Sunday from the plate, and you don't remember what you ate last Sunday from the pulpit. Don't worry, I don't take it personally. I don't remember what I preach from week to week either. It's also why repetition of key points is so important. The Bible repeats itself over and over, and so sermons should as well. Weekly worship is a key part of our spiritual well-being, not because that particular Sunday might be the Sunday that God really speaks to you, but because God speaks every Sunday when his word is read and proclaimed. And since Sunday worship isn't about us, 
as much as it is about God. We worship God, not us. Regular obedience to the command to worship God is important, especially when we don't get anything out of it. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't get anything out of worship. It's not primarily about us, but God is pleased to have us benefit from worshiping him. In fact, the greater our focus on him and not ourselves, the more we get out of worship. It's a hard thing to do. It's hard not to make worship a spectator sport, to feel like you are there as spectators and things happen up here for you to observe, but to realize we are participants in worship. God is the spectator. And so verse 10, we read, this is the burnt offering for every Sabbath in addition to the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. In other words, the Lord's day worship isn't a substitute to personal worship and neither is personal worship a substitute to Lord's day worship. Both are God's command to us. And in fact, personal worship feeds into our shared Lord's day worship. Preparing our whole selves for Lord's day worship through personal worship is the ideal. Doing your daily devotions on Saturday evening and Sunday morning before the Lord's Day worship is the ideal. That's why also for years we have included a preparation for worship that you can look ahead to what's coming in the next Sunday, that you might uh, look ahead to the hymns and consider those hymns and meditate on the hymns ahead of time, uh, to read and meditate on the word that's to be proclaimed, uh, to read and meditate on the affirmation of faith that we'll share together uh, the next week. We're going to do an interesting thing in the next, uh, these next 12 weeks is uh, we are working on compiling a list of what we're calling 60 great hymns that all of us should know. There's obviously way more than that. And for years, what we've sought to do is to sing as many different hymns as possible. But for a time, for about a year or so, we want to focus on 60-ish key hymns that we can sing several times throughout the year. That they really become a part of our worship life. There's nothing like having hymns uh, that can come back to your mind uh, and come to your heart in the day's events. And to take hymns that have profound thoughts, uh, big words that we don't understand that we need to take back home and go, what did that even mean? I didn't, I didn't understand that. Uh, and so you meditate on those hymns and the richness of the language that's there uh, that points us to new realities in Christ. I had uh, an interesting thing happen this past summer, my daughters were interested in going to the Taylor Swift concert, and they needed a ride. So the plan was for the entire Ledford family to go to the Taylor Swift concert. Now, I'm not necessarily a Swifty, but my girls are. And being the dutiful father that I am, I said, yes, I will go, and I'll go to the Taylor Swift concert. I said, but I don't want to go and just be like that creeper dad that's just standing there going, not knowing anything that's going on. And so I said, I'm going, to need to, I'm going to need to know the songs well enough that I can at least participate. I don't want to be the creeper dad that's like overselling it, but at least to know a little bit of what's, what's happening. And so my daughters made me a playlist uh, of what she was going to play. So I only had to learn a certain number of songs. I didn't have to learn all of them, but the certain number that she was going to have in the concert. And so uh, gave me the playlist. And so in the car, when I was driving places, I uh, had the playlist going. And I could listen over the, the months before the concert in order to become familiar with the songs. And interesting things that happened, there were certain songs that I liked more than others, uh, certain uh, uh, lines that I liked, certain ones I didn't, uh, certain ones I'd want to listen to more than other ones. And oftentimes I'd listen to something and I'd say, I have no idea what she just sang. 
And so I'd have to go back and then I'd have to look up the lyrics and I'd have to consider what those lyrics were and kind of, okay, well, that's kind of an interesting thought and kind of consider what she's singing about. But it was great when I went to the concert itself, I was able to fully participate, right? My daughters are there, they can attest. I was there, I sang at the right parts and yeah, so, um, and didn't make a fool of myself or you. So it was all a good thing. And it occurred to me, if I can do that with Taylor Swift songs, then we ought to be able to do that with the great hymns of the faith to listen to them over and over. We might have ones that we like more than others and some that sort of leave us a little dry, but ones that we really enjoy in certain lines that we really like and some lines that we hear and go, I don't even know what that means, but we, we learn them uh, and they become a part of us. And then in the richness of our worship together, we can sing out to the glory of God. It's one of the great benefits of weekly worship. Think about the other activities that we do um, and the priority that we make to those activities. Um, often talk with parents about this, that you would never show up to sports practice late or you might not be allowed to play in the game. Certainly the coach will yell at you and we allow the coach to do this. If the church calls you out for being late, we would consider that out of line, right? You can't show up for school late or you get penalized. You can't show up for practice games, concerts, activities late, or you might get benched, and you'll realize that you let down the team. Should Lord's Day worship be any less important? And many will say, but Sunday's my day to sleep in. Well, for most of us, you can still sleep in on Sunday much later than all the other days of the week and still get here in plenty of time, not just to be here, but prepared and ready to worship. But Sunday is so easily turned into my day rather than the Lord's Day. Or as the Bengals saying back in the 1980s, I wish it were Sunday because that's my fun day, my I don't have to run day, right? That brings us then to the commands with regard to the monthly offerings beginning at verse 11. Listen again to God's word. On the first of every month, present to the Lord a burnt offering of two young bulls, one ram, seven male lambs a year old, all without defect. With each bull, there is to be a grain offering of three-tenths of an etfa of fine flour mixed with oil. With the ram, a grain offering of two-tenths of an etfa of fine flour mixed with oil. And with each lamb, a grain offering of a tenth of an etfa of fine flour mixed with oil. This is for a burnt offering, a pleasing aroma, an offering made to the Lord by fire. With each bull, there is to be a drink offering of half a hen of wine, with the ram a third of a hen, with each lamb a quarter of a hen. This is the monthly burnt offering to be made at each new moon during the year. Besides the regular burnt offering with its drink offering, one male goat is to be presented to the Lord as a sin offering. So where does the idea of months come from? On our calendar, days make sense, 24 hours per day, the full rotation of the earth. Years make sense, the earth's rotation around the sun, that solar cycle of 365.24 days, right? That's why we get a leap year every four years. But months, sometimes they're 30 days, sometimes they're 31 days. You get that weird one that's 28 days. It's because of the lunar cycle, the moon's rotation around the earth, which is 29.5 days from new moon to new moon. And if you only take 29.5 days times 12, then the year is only 354 days. 
the Hebrew calendar is built around those lunar months, around new moons and the harvest season. The first month of the Hebrew calendar has a civil sequence that actually just started this past week with Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. Last Sunday was also the last new moon. And by the way, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is coming this Wednesday. The sacred sequence starts with the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is usually around April, close to Easter, since Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection coincided with Passover and God's providence to make the two obviously correspond. And then works through the various holidays and feasts. And we'll look more at that next week and the rest of the offerings in chapters 28 and 29 organized around the feasts and holidays, holy days of the year. And so the Hebrew calendar follows a lunar model going from new moon to new moon. And in order to make up for the missing days, 354 instead of 365, they don't have a leap day every four years, but have a leap month every two to three years. Verse 14 of our passage, this is the monthly burnt offering to be made at each new moon during the year. I've always loved the start of a new month. There's a a freshness to it, a sense of new possibilities. In fact, this past year has been a good year for me in many ways, uh, particularly exercising. Uh, In the past, I'd be able to kind of get into a good rhythm and exercise for maybe a couple of months, uh, but then something would change and I'd get out of rhythm again. Anybody else? Yes? You're, you're kind of going good for a while and then something happens. Usually happens seasonally for me. I'd be doing okay maybe in the winter and the spring, but then summer comes and summer schedule is just completely different and I couldn't get into the routine. Or I might do well in the summer, but then fall comes and that's a whole new routine. I couldn't get back into the rhythm again. Well, I have exercised com- uh, consistently for a whole year. I've made it through all 12 months, and I'm now into the 13th month, which has been an amazing experience to go from just trying to do the daily rhythm of exercise and then being able to start crafting out a plan for the week and then beginning to craft out a plan for the month and to see months begin to string together and suddenly a year has gone by. And so the sense of time is that sense of what are you doing to focus on Christ today? And then tomorrow do it again. And then the next day you do it again. And suddenly a week has happened. And then maybe you get to the point where you can start crafting out a plan for a week. And then weeks string together. And then perhaps you're in a good enough rhythm, you can start to think about a month plan for how it is you're orienting yourself around Christ. And months can turn into years. That's ultimately where we want to see ourselves go with time management. A daily walk with Christ that is a weekly walk with Christ and a monthly walk with Christ and a life walk with Christ that builds upon itself. A new month is a time uh, for repentance of past failures and yet also a look with excitement at new possibilities. In fact, earlier in the book of Numbers, chapter 10, verse 10, right before they set off on the march, the last verse before that, uh, God says, also at your times of rejoicing, your appointed festivals, you are to sound the trumpets over your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, and they will be a memorial for you before your God. And so the new moon festivals, the new moon uh, burnt offerings included the trumpet blast. It was a celebration. In fact, notice the increased amount of offering that comes at the new moon, the new month offering. In verse 11, 
the first of every month, present the Lord a burnt offering of two young bulls, one ram, seven male lambs. And the value meals all get seriously supersized with extra grain offerings and drink offerings. And then there's also an extra sin offering. Did you see that in verse 15? Besides the regular burnt offerings with his drink offering, one male goat is to be presented to the Lord as a sin offering. Even as we look forward to the new month and at the new moon, there's still acknowledgement of sin that has proceeded and needs atonement. We start a new month with repentance and faith. So it's not just, well, forget the past, but forgiveness for the past. I'm always concerned for people who have no interest in confession and repentance, who just want to ignore the past and try to forget about it. One of the great benefits to believers is confession and repentance. The opportunity to receive forgiveness. This is true in Christ. and also gets evidenced among believers. One believer sins against another but doesn't want to acknowledge it. They just want to forget it. But that becomes a hindrance to the relationship. A trust has been broken. Relationship will not be the same. Wouldn't it be far better for there to be an apology and to be forgiven so that the relationship is actually strengthened. A person can choose to overlook an offense as an act of forgiveness. And so it's so important to teach this pattern of confession and forgiveness to our children. One child perhaps steals a toy from the other, and then that child pushes in response, right? You seize the moment to walk them through the, prompt, that, the process, shepherding to the very heart of the child. When you go to the child and say, you need to say you're sorry, Fine, sorry. And now let's try that again. You need to apologize, and what is it that you are apologizing for? Okay, I'm sorry I grabbed that toy without asking. I forgive you, and I'm sorry that I pushed you when you did that. I forgive you. Hey, let's play with this together. And suddenly, they're having more fun than they were having before. Giving ourselves to God isn't a one-time act but a daily activity. Yes, our initial salvation is tied to that moment of regeneration and responding to that regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, responding by proclaiming faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. But we are to begin and end each day, like Israel, by sharing communion with God. We no longer have priests make a sacrificial offering for us, but we go to our great high priest who is and who has made the full and final, once for all, sacrificial offering. Start every day with Christ. Start every week with Christ. Start every month with Christ. Because Christ is the truth. And may the truth set you free. Amen.